RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Last week, we talked with Tanya Lees, who was at the meeting in Raumati uh, with the Coastal Action Plan people, the CAP people, and Jim Bolger was facilitating that meeting, and the locals in Raumati were uh, very um, concerned about this whole managed retreat and what it could do to their properties, um, the value of their properties, all those things that you would worry about. So we know about that. And we did reach out to Jim Bolger to ask for his side because he kind of called them all conspiracy theorists. Um, and you'd know that if you went and watched the video. Anyway, so uh, this uh, topic doesn't go away. And my team saw Sue Gray's Facebook video, Weekend Just Gone, uh, with Mary, who is a Westport resident, no second name there. And they were talking about the government's national adaptation plan and the plans the government has to socialize, socialize people towards retreating. There's that word again, including penalties for those who chose not to adapt. Anyway, Sue Gray is with us to give us a lawyer's perspective and a science perspective because she has that background as well on uh, on this whole thing, her chat with Mary and where this is all heading. So, Sue, welcome back to RCR. Thanks, Paul. Great to be back. Okay, um, this, um, uh, you know, managed retreat is something I only heard for the first time about three weeks ago, a month ago. Now I'm hearing it all the bloody time. Yeah, they're rolling it out thick and fast. Everywhere you go, there's cones and obstructions in the streets and all sorts of things happening. Is that all about that? It seems to be. It seems to be all part of this climate emergency fund that the government's got and councils get it, but only if they agree to do exactly what the government wants them to do. So before I went down to Granity and met with Mary, I'd been to the meeting in Motueka or just near Motueka with, with what we had 350 concerned, very concerned residents there about what's being proposed in Motueka. So this is a um, endemic issue all around New Zealand at the moment, from what we can tell. Are they using a local personality, like they use Jim Bolger, he's now Waikanae-based, so Kapiti Coast. Are they using any sort of local personalities to front this effort? I'm just curious. No, well, it's been the other way around because what's happened in Tasman and West Coast is the government have largely tried to keep it under the radar and the community have picked up on it. And they've tried to go to gov- uh, council meetings and ask questions and, you know, they're given a sort of five-minute time slot and then told to sit down. So the community have really stepped up and said, hang on a minute, you represent us, we'll hold the meeting, we'll decide what the agenda is and we'll invite our elected representatives along to come and listen because For example, Mary had spoken to her local Westport mayor and he said, well, we haven't been able to come and consult because nobody's given us money to consult. What? Yeah, and it's like, well, hang on a minute, you're the council, Uh, you represent us, isn't that something that you would make money available for doing and how much money does it cost to jump in your car and drive 15 minutes up the road to come and talk to us? Isn't Isn't that the burning thing they want to do? Is represent the people and well, and, you, well they got their hand out so. all the time. <laughs> you may think so, and I may think so, but what it's all become about, from what we can tell, is the government is handing out money um, only when the councils behave, and the councils are becoming dependent on that money, and they're becoming very obedient and not obedient to the people, obedient to central government and to those who are driving central government. Well, that's interesting because I spoke to a New Plymouth District Councillor, Murray Chong, about their cycleway. 
And um, it was interesting how he broke it down, and I'm assuming he was correct. That is, uh, I think they had $17 million that um, uh, Waka Kotahi was giving them for the project. Okay, 800 car parks were going for that, so a lot of the retailers were very unhappy because some of them would go out of business. They were on the main streets of New Plymouth, the loss of the majority of parking spaces. But here's the thing. Nearly just over um, a third of the money was to be spent on planning and design. And the planning and design money went to only consultants that Waka Kotahi would endorse. So there's a money go around there already. But here's the other thing. The council didn't get anything. Wow. They didn't that's what he said. They they weren't even clipping the ticket. There was no, you know, deal in it for them. So you wonder why they're doing this. Well, well, we asked the council that at the Motueka meeting. We had, I think, three councillors come along and we asked them. We asked them what they'd been told. We asked them why they were doing it. A whole lot of questions. Um, they answered some of the questions. Mostly they were pretty shocked at what information the community had that the councillors themselves didn't know about. And um, it, it didn't seem to have occurred to them that they can just say, no, we're not doing it. This seems to be a pattern then. You've got councillors in, in New Zealand councils who don't know what the freaking hell is going on. They're not curious. Yeah. They obviously are not being given adequate briefings if you know the experience of the people we've talked to is anything to go by. They are oblivious. They don't even know what 15-minute cities are. They're, they're completely yeah. ignorant. What? Where have they been, right? I know. Well, I actually asked, the question I asked at the Motueka meeting was to the councillors, when did you have a meeting about the World Economic Forum, 15-minute cities and this type of agenda, and why weren't the public invited? And the answer was, we've, we've never had a meeting like that. We don't know anything about it. Do you believe that? I I think I do. I think I believe the councillor that said that. I, I believe it's just a few people in the system that is driving these things. And that's typical. They, they The World Economic Forum people train up a few and the others might basically just go along for the ride and do what they're told. You know, this New Zealand culture thing that you can't cause trouble or yeah. you're not a good loyal worker. You know, you've got to do what you're told or you'll get restructured out. So, yeah, I mean, it, it it's bizarre but it's feasible okay so the um 284 page document the report of the expert working group on managed retreat i have a copy of that here on my desktop but i don't have time to go through all of that but in the bits that i've skim done skim reading on those familiar things keep coming up i think uh you just said it before climate emergency or crisis emergency i think also you know sea level rise and more adverse weather events linked to uh, man-made climate change. None of that has really any evidence behind it, yet they're, they're printing it and saying it ad nauseum. Yeah, and look, this stuff has been going on a long time. I did a case that must be 15 years ago at Tasman District Council, Motueka. Um, it was about building a um, new industrial building on a sort of rural area, and if you followed the council's rules about 
sea level rise, you should have had to build the building a couple of metres higher above the ground level. But when we talked about that at the hearing, they said, oh, no, 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 we don't need to worry about any of that stuff. So, you know, they've been throwing these things around. But as far as I can tell, nothing has actually changed in practice. I mean, I don't think, I mean, sometimes the the tide seems to be a bit different than other times, but there's no obvious evidence of any significant sea level change that I've seen anyway. That I've zero, zero um, that's perceptible. Mm. Okay. Um, And, uh, you know, the adverse weather events, well, I mean, I've spent um, on and off nearly 60 years in Wellington. It's been a lot more bloody windy in the past (laughs) than it has been this year and a lot colder as well. Um, In fact, it's been all over the place, but still within the range that one remembers in a lifespan. So this is all ginned up stuff is really what I'm heading to and quite dishonest. Yeah, I I would agree with you, Paul. Um, it it just seems to be again this kind of ideology and fear mongering, and ways of manipulating the public. Yeah. Um, okay. So in that uh, that big long report, um, this is your lawyer hat on now. Uh, they recommend power to acquire land. So is that yeah. like the old um, you know emergency works act or something whatever they used to yeah, call it? Pu- Public, well, Public Works Act, it's got quite a few um, statutory processes that you have to go through. I haven't looked through the detail of this, but we did make a submission to Parliament on the, I think it was called Severe Weather Emergency Climate Bill. That was the one that was published on the Parliament webpage in the morning. Submissions closed at five o'clock that day. We were rung at uh, nine o'clock that night to say if we wanted to do an oral, we had to do it at three o'clock the next day. And I think the day after that, the new law came into force and it was just a very very scary law like a ram raid it it was just incredible and actually i made a submission on behalf of the outdoors and freedom party the law society made a submission and a constitutional lawyer from victoria university made a submission and we all said pretty much the same thing that this is so unconstitutional the way it's being done but also the content and it was really up to whoever should be obeyed as to where they decided the climate emergency was, but also under that law they could take any land that they needed to um, take because there'd been an emergency somewhere else. So if they thought it was land that they might need for resolving it, they could take that too. So even if you were living in a very, very inert place without any apparent risk at all, your land could be taken as well. I mean, it's pretty scary stuff for anybody that believes in property rights or who has any concerns about, you know, planning ahead. Could they, um, I don't know if we know this, but is it possible once land has been acquired, under that uh, kind of regime, that it could be on sold or <laughs> sold yeah. to other people. Well, under under the old Public Works Act, it used to have to be offered back to the person it was acquired from, right. and then the next choice was to use it for Maori set land settlements. Um, but I haven't looked at that question under the climate emergency laws. Yeah. Okay. Powers to oh and. Um, you just reminded me when you're talking about that being rushed through that um, that consultation thing before the, the act was passed or the law was passed. They're only giving, and this is the other common thing, in all these meetings and all over the place, five minutes. All yeah. you've got is five minutes. It's like a standard thing. Who bloody well came up with that? Well, this is something I, I- – 
uh, the one that we've been dealing with is the Tasman District Council, and you can make an application to speak to the council before one of their meetings, and they give you five minutes. Well, the community at Motueka is pretty smart, well-informed community, and they said, well, no, that's not good enough. So they organised their own meeting, and they invited the council to come to the meeting, and then the community decided what was on the agenda and how much time everybody had, and that's a much better way of having a public meeting. Um, and I'd encourage every community to have that type of meeting, invite your elected representative along. You know, we had name tags for the councillors who didn't turn up so we could all see who wasn't mm-hmm. there as well as who was there. Um, and and it was it was actually very, very well done meeting with a, with a sort of like a series of issues one after another that all fitted together really well. And by the time you got to the end of the meeting, you really couldn't miss what was going on. I so, mean, that's, that's great, but... Um... You know, from the other way around, the council way around, um, surely having only five minutes, it's there, first of all, to limit what the person can say. Mm. And then, you know, at about three and a half minutes, four minutes, you're getting close. So you're going to hurry up. You're going to get, you know, your pace is going to go up. You're going to get flustered and you probably make a bit of a mess of the end. They know that. That's the that's why they do it. Right. Yeah. And so, they know. So and the then- submission is not as powerful as it could be. Yeah, and also there's no time for questions often. And so, you know, the very time that you need. And the other thing is it should be the people asking the council questions, not the the people hoping that the council will ask them questions. You know, we never get that opportunity to ask the questions back in the direction that we should be asking them. Okay, powers, we'll, we'll go through this quickly. Powers to retire land from use by cancellation of title. That sounds pretty dramatic. Yeah, absolutely. They're basically saying, as I understand it, that that means that they can take your land away from you. Just cancel the title. Yeah, that's that's certainly how it sounds. Yep. Powers to red sticker. Now, I can just see your little officious town planning bureaucrats coming around with a little red sticker book or whatever, slapping it on the door, and suddenly everything's changed with the red sticker. It's happened in other places in the country. It has. It's happened in Christchurch after the earthquakes. It's happened in Hawke's Bay. It happened in Nelson after the floods. But what's even more concerning here, according to Mary, she's looked at it for Granity, which is just up the coast from Westport, is they're talking about red stickering the whole town or large part of the town. Wow. In anticipation of a problem, not in even. anticipation. Yes, yes. Based on nothing, because I've, like I say, I've spoken to Judith Curry, one of the, you know, experts in the world. She says it's all BS. Mm-hmm. Well, David Cummins is... says it's mm-hmm. all BS. He's done a big um, deep dive into CO2, which is the basis for the climate change emergency now. So, okay, in anticipation of BS. All right. Powers to cancel and nullify resource consent. So you've had a something consented. They can undo it. Yeah, that's that's what they're saying. Is that pretty dramatic as well in terms of... Oh, well, again, it's a complete undermining of property rights and business rights. You know, you you go through a huge process to get a resource consent. You expect that your investment will be worthwhile. If they can just come along and change the rules overnight, then who's going to invest in anything? It's too risky. It's too risky. Exactly. They must know that. Ministerial powers where people refuse to move. Okay. Does that mean that they can come and pick you up and cart you off, I guess? Coming coming to hunt you down, perhaps. Chrissy Hipkiss would come personally, would he? <laughs> Who would know these days? Well he okay. might be looking he might be looking for a new job soon. Yeah, well, I think I think you're right. 
Okay, so powers to control succession, gift, or future sale. Yeah, well, that's really scary as well. I mean, some of this land might have been in the family for generations, and they can restrict what what people can do for their families, their children, or selling it for third parties. Yeah, so the old succession plan, passing on your wealth, depending on where you are, that could be out the window. Power to enter by force. This is terrible. Yeah, absolutely scary. They come along, they red sticker your home without any proper grounds for doing so, and then they they give themselves the right to enter your home. Who the hell do these people think they are? I'm just about to burst a blood vessel here, I'm telling you. Yeah, it's 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 great that we're talking about this stuff because this has pretty much been under the radar. I mean, we've all seen the roadblocks and the cycle lanes going in and the bus lanes going in and the and the loss of the car parks and things, but there hasn't been that much discussion about what why is this coincidentally happening in cities and towns all around New Zealand. But it's well, based on why. something that's not true. This is the thing. This is a fantasy. Well, we just had three years of COVID, didn't we? I mean, they don't seem to worry too much. This is the next thing, right? It seems to be. Okay, and terms, military estate and precincts. I think those terms mm. came up in your chat with Mary. Can you yeah. give us the context of, of where they were mentioned, why they were mentioned? Yeah, well, this, um, I mean, the, the precinct is a, is a term that also came up in Mochueka, the Tudor precinct. And as soon as they start using those words, it seems to be that they're nominating a whole part of a, a town or a community and they're putting on one of these designations. And it seems to mean that when they nominate it to be a precinct, the people lose their rights. And it's it's scary stuff. Okay, so what to do then? I know people are having me, but you know they don't listen, right? Um, it's well, almost like it's it's all preloaded. So it's yeah. going to have to be a very forceful opposition. I'm picking uh, to this for anything to be different. There, there absolutely is. Um, what we're suggesting is that communities get together and work out a plan for themselves, understand what's proposed for them. So what's, for example, in Westport is this, um, oh, I forget what they call it now, but basically a new little suburb up in the hills and it, it's little matching boxes with matching tussock front gardens and no sort of veggie gardens, no privacy, no space for anything and sort of tucked up in the hills with like the a one communal, like something a communist would would create yeah well it, it's not far off from that it's not it's not certainly my choice of of a community to live in and i get it look i get it if you're living in a home that's been flooded you'd be looking at alternatives but the locals have got a lot of alternatives they've seen the river flood before they've seen solutions to that with dredging and with with bypasses and stock banks and all sorts of things that have worked really well for decades and they're asking the question well why can't we have a proper discussion about all of the solutions that the community is aware of rather than somebody who's not even in the community coming up with these hypothetical solutions to hypothetical problems that aren't what the community want. Yeah, but in the end, those hypothetical solutions to hypothetical problems are tyrannical. Yeah, yeah. You and know, I went through that list. It's all bad. 
Oh, there's nothing in there that I would see as a positive at all, no. Um, And, you know, this is the thing. I've described it as we've had this sort of COVID tsunami of law reforms. They've backed off a little bit. The tsunami wave's gone out at the moment just up until the election. But rest assured, they're lining up all of these things. I mean, this this is a huge one, this climate adaptation that they're lining up, they're lining up the therapeutic products, the water services, the hate speech, the fluoride. It's all it's, it's all got to be connected, right? It's all got to be connected. Well, it is connected in the sense that none of it's good for the people. None well, it's of about, it's, it's about a sort of like some kind of enslavement, some version of enslavement. Yeah. Some kind of puppeteer that's got some weird ideas for Super us. Super marionette. Yeah. Like Thunderbirds and Joe Ninety. <laughs> Somebody's a bit too bored with their life, and they're they're thinking of ways of entertaining themselves. It's almost what it feels like. Well, it's if you bizarre. get your jollies that way, you got a problem. It's it's bizarre stuff, you know. I mean, some look, you know, it's the same with all of this climate stuff. That that you know, I like riding my bike, but I don't want a community to put it, be put out of business because I might want to ride my bike down the main street once every blue moon. You know, it's it's all when there's bike. a footpath that no one uses. Yeah, or a parallel back street that nobody really uses anyway that would be much more nice for riding your bike anyway, you know. And No money what, in that, Sue, no money. And this is what people are asking, the same questions everywhere we go, that we're getting pretty much the same question. People saying, what is this? And then you say, well, look, it's happening here. It's happening there. It happened there. It happened there. Everywhere you can, you can pretty much mirror the story in communities all over New Zealand. It's another one of those lockstep efforts that are, is so dastardly and eloquently um, deployed. It, it kind of does have echoes of the COVID thing because that was, you know, from a dastardly point of view, eloquently deployed as well mm. in terms of its um, the consequences. And I suppose if, <laughs> if you're going down any rabbit hole, you're saying that, Maybe there's a link there because you test out the population. You now know that they X amount of them will will conform to, um, you know, uh, certain messaging. So you can go to the next level. Yep, yep, and that's that. Just it just is getting more and more ridiculous, from what I can see. You know, we've got service towns. Like, okay, if you live in London or Berlin or somewhere like that, you might be quite happy to go on the public transport. But if you live in Motueka, it's a service town for communities, you know, 50 kilometres away. People want to come into town, buy some, you know, groceries, buy some animal feed, buy some plumbing equipment, all the all fencing wire, whatever they need. They're not going to come in on their bicycle from 15 or 20 kilometres away and take home, you know, 20 kilos of stuff with them. They want to drive into town, park the car, buy what they need and do what they want to do. It's it's just it's just so out of touch with reality. And whoever said that people weren't allowed to use a mode of transport of their choice to get around and be free on the earth? Yeah, and when were we asked about it? Never. No one ever com- campaigned on it. It was never in any manifestos, never any referendum, nothing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I need to take some um, medication. <laughs> to, uh, but, uh, I mean, we're, we're kind of fighting for the future here. Yeah, we're absolutely fighting. We're certainly fighting for our our choices, our freedoms. We're fighting for communities to have the right to be 
the community that they want to be, not some centralised, controlled community. That's the thing for me. You know, why can't Granity be different from Westport? Why can't Westport be different from the Coromandel? You know, why can't towns have their own character? We surely don't want to all be matching little sort of Lego towns. It's and I bet you the folks who are trying to impose this, they won't compromise. They'll be able to get around the way they want. They'll be able to do what they uh, need to do. It's usually the way. Okay. Um, well, we'll keep an eye on that. Did, did you explain what military estates were? No. I, think you, I think you said precincts. You talked about precincts, but yeah, there's military precincts. estate, and that kind of makes it sound like you might be put on a military base or something. Yeah, well, the one that we went and looked at up from Westport almost looked like a sort of um, very organised military base. The only thing that was missing was the barbed wire fence around the outside. Um, you know, it, is it, it new? It, is it new? Yes, yeah, it's all very oh, so new. So they built a new military base. Well, it's not a whole military base. It's 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 a whole series of matching little houses all lined up down a little street in the middle of nowhere that that is part of this climate adaptation plan. So that's the one we've seen in Westport, just near Westport. Um, whether there are whole military bases, you know, I'm sort of imagining, you know, runways and everything else. I well, haven't. No, seen no I wasn't quite thinking that. But but um, um, let's say premises operated, owned by, and operated under the command of. The military is what I'm wondering. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean. Why would that be? And why would it be, especially when the New Zealand military's hardly got any any personnel anyway? Yeah, well, they're um, all unfit or jab injured, so they're not really good for the defence of the country anymore. Or they've left because they didn't like working near my queue. They, they were probably the best ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know a few did that. But, you know, um, why is the military involved? Yeah, exactly. Why is the military involved? And and I don't know the answer to that. Because they can, they can remove you by force, right? Mm. Anyway, and we could go on endlessly. Before you go, Sue, we've got to ask you, how's Freedom NZ doing right now? Yeah, well, we seem to be doing really well. We've um, had some great meetings. We were all up at the River of Freedom premiere the other day. In well, the what Auckland. were your um, impressions of that? I thought it was um, good to see some different perspectives that even though I'd been at Wellington for nearly the whole of the occupation, there were people there that I hadn't spoken to and, and different views on things, plus a few that quite a few that I did know. Um, the, the best thing of all was the audience participation. You know, every yeah. time Cinder came on, the crowd booed, and every time um, somebody, one of their heroes came on, they clapped and cheered, and then Chris Hipkins would be on and they'd boo, and it was, <laughs> it was actually quite fun. <laughs> And um, the cheesy moment, I'll just tell you while we're talking about it, for me is is the footage of the Vaxathon. I nearly threw up. <laughs> it was Wasn't so it cheesy. It was so horrible. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'd agree about that. I hadn't seen it because I don't really watch TV and I didn't even, I mean, I think I probably heard there was a Vaxathon, but I hadn't actually seen that footage before. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty nasty. Doesn't age well for the people in it. <laughs> None of it does, though, does it? Any of the masks or anything else. Okay, so so you're going to be busy, obviously, for the next um, period of time because they're not far away now. Yeah, well, I'm campaigning West Coast Tasman, and so there's a lot of travel between the venues. We've got a whole series of meetings up and down the coast in West Coast, uh, Golden Bay. Um, but in between, I'm doing the events in Wellington and Auckland and as many other things as I can get to. Got over to the uh, BizNZ event on Tuesday, and I was invited on the panel there, so that was oh, really yeah. nice. That yeah. was a new audience that um, hadn't had a chance to how, speak. How did that go for you? Well, they 
Ryan Bridge asked some questions. He didn't, we only had about 20 minutes between the three of us, but I, I believe we got, well, I got in some information that most of them have never have even thought of before. So in terms of giving us a chance to get some different perspectives, it was great. Um, what the ideal thing would be to get some follow-up so that the people actually get to know us a bit better. The funny thing with business is, I've over the years done a work for a lot of New Zealand's top business people who are really pushing the boundaries on things and up against the brick wall. And and you know, I guess you get a bit of a reputation of of creative solutions for things and that sort of thing. And you see the same patterns, people who are extremely good at what they do and they're so frustrated with the sort of tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand. But what happens is most of those business people don't know each other. They think right. they're the only one. But because right. of my work, I meet lots of them in different fields. And and actually, they all have a very, very similar story. So I'm thinking of ways that we can connect them together. So not so much the sort of bureaucrats that are the sort of MBA-type business people, but more the real entrepreneurs who are really creative and who are, who are doing some great things but are very, very frustrated with the – Oh, the bureaucracy red tape. Well, there Lateral. does seem to be a war, a war against smaller business. Yeah, there absolutely is. I think they're people know that. Yeah, they're definitely that. trying to put put the little guys out of business for sure, make okay. it hard. All right. Well, um, nice to have you back on the program, Sue Gray, to talk about managed retreat and all of that <laughs> blah and, um, and how things are going in the campaign for you. And I'm sure Thank we'll you. talk again soon. So thanks yes. so much. Thanks very much, Paul. Much appreciated again. Thank you. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.